On that day, on Easter Day, the disciples sat behind locked doors. That morning, Peter and another disciple had been summoned by Mary Magdalene, who told them that Jesus' body was missing from his tomb. After they had seen for himself that the tomb was empty, they were at a loss. Who could have taken him? Where, why were his grave clothes left behind? What could they do? They couldn't just walk up to the authorities and, and report the loss of his body, nor could they initiate a search. It was just too dangerous. Besides, someone might accuse them of taking the body themselves. There seemed to be nothing they can do, and so they left, anxious and puzzled. Then Mary had come to them again, her face lit up with joy, to tell them that she had actually seen Jesus alive and had talked with him. She even brought them a message from him. Her words were incredible, unbelievable, the words surely of a hysterical woman whose grief had turned her, turned her mind. How could such a thing be true? How could Jesus be alive again? And what if he was? The gospel writer says that disciples were behind locked doors for fear of the Jews because they were afraid of being arrested by the religious authorities. But I wonder if the disciples weren't also a little afraid that Mary's news was true. After all, they had failed Jesus. They had abandoned him when he was arrested. Only Peter had attempted to defend him, and later when he was recognized as one of Jesus' disciples, he had denied that he knew Jesus not just once but three times. None of them, save one, had dared to show their faces at the crucifixion, nor had they come forward to claim his body. If Jesus was alive, well, he probably wasn't too happy with them. Best to keep the doors locked, just in case. But locked doors could not hold back the risen Christ. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. No anger, no condemnation, no words of disappointment or hurt. Only the gift of his peace. He knew them so well, knew their shame and guilt, knew their fear and grief. He understood why the doors had been locked, and he didn't hold, them, hold it against them. Instead, he offered them peace and himself. He showed them his scars, his pierced hands, and his torn side, letting them see for him, themselves that he really was there in the flesh. And when they had looked and touched, they knew. They knew it was Jesus, and they broke into shouts of joy, tears streaming down their faces, laughing and hugging and shyly reaching out again to touch this man whom they have loved so much and had never thought to see alive again. Can't imagine what it must have been like. The closest I can come is the reunion of family members who have been separated for a long time and never expected to see one another again. That, that's as close as I can get. Such joy there must have been. This was more than a family reunion, and Jesus is more than just a friend. He is the risen Lord, and just as he sent Mary Magdalene on a mission to the disciples, now Jesus gives his disciples a mission of their own. Once again, he offers his peace, and then he says, 
As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And with those words, the disciples became apostles, those who are sent. The description of their mission is a bit confusing. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Clearly, the disciples were meant to carry out Christ's work in the world, but how? What did that mean? One insight comes from Eugene Peterson, who translates these words in his, uh, in his Bible, the message, if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive the sins, what are you going to do with them? An indication that the disciples' task is more than just pronouncing forgiveness. But I like the words of theologian Elizabeth Johnson. This, I think, is one of the best explanations of these words. Jesus is not giving his disciples some special power to decide whose sins will be forgiven and whose will not. Rather, he is further specifying what it means to be sent to make the love of God that Jesus, make known the love of God that Jesus himself has made known. As people come and know and abide in Jesus, their sins will be released. If, however, those sent by Jesus fail to bear witness, people will remain stuck in their unbelief. Their sins will be retained or held onto. The stakes of this mission are very high indeed. Oh, the newly commissioned apostles have their work cut out for him. Thank God it is the work of love. And Jesus does not leave them without resources, far from it. Not only does he give, him his, give them his peace, the peace that calms their fears and eases their troubled hearts, but he breathes into them the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of the second chapter of Genesis and how God shaped a human being out of earth and then breathed into it the spirit of life. Now Jesus breathes new life into his shame-faced, fearful disciples, baptizing them with the gift of his power and his presence and strengthening them for the mission they will carry out in his name. But not quite all of them. Thomas is not with the disciples on that Easter evening. We don't know why. Perhaps he was out buying food or scouting for information. Or maybe he just had to get out of that stuffy, sad room, heavy with grief and regret. Whatever the reason, he was not there that night. We also don't know if he heard Mary Magdalene's proclamation. If he did, he probably responded just as the other disciples did, with doubt and fear and uncertainty. Imagine then how he felt when he heard his fellow disciples saying those same words, we have seen the Lord. Imagine the confusing mixture of skepticism and raised hopes that he must have experienced. Imagine too, how it felt to be the only one who wasn't jumping up and down with joy, the only one left out, the only one who didn't get to see Jesus. We've all had that experience, haven't we? Of missing out on something important or special 
We've all felt the disappointment, the hurt, and sometimes the jealousy that goes along with it. And we've all had times that felt too good to be true, that sounded too good to be true, that we didn't want to, when we didn't want to get our hopes too high lest they be dashed. I wonder if that's how Thomas felt when he heard the other disciples. Of course, that's not how he's been seen all these years. After all, his reaction to the others was pretty strong. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark and my hand in his side, I will not believe. It certainly sounds as if he deserves the label Doubting Thomas. But I think a more accurate label might be Disappointed Thomas. I think that Thomas wanted what Mary Magdalene and the other disciples had had and wanted it very much, a direct experience with Jesus, a physical encounter with the risen Christ, nothing more and nothing less. He wanted to see Jesus for himself, even though he knows such a thing is impossible. Seven days after Easter, Jesus, Thomas, receives what he wants and more. Disciples are once again gathered behind closed doors, and this time Thomas is with them. And once again, Jesus appears among them, offering his peace. And then, oh my, he turns to Thomas and offers himself in the most intimate, vulnerable way. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And in that instant, Thomas understands deeply, fully, who stands before him, pierced hands outstretched, and he cries, My Lord and my God. His is the fullest confession of faith in the entire gospel, the expression of a man whose life has been transformed by a new and wonderful relationship with Jesus. Last week on Easter Sunday, we had a young Thomas with us. One of our mothers shared with me that her son was excited to come to church that day. Why? Was it because of the music? Was it because of the children's Easter egg hunt? No. He was excited because he was finally going to get to meet Jesus. Yeah. That's pretty cute, isn't it? But I suspect that he was not the only one. I suspect that there were and are many, both in here and outside, who want to meet Jesus, who long for an encounter with our risen Lord, who hope that in the midst of their anxiety and doubt and yearning, Jesus will show up. And he does. Jesus comes and stands among us. How? Listen again to what he says to Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. 
We may not have experienced the sound of Jesus' voice, but we have heard him speak through Mary Magdalene and Thomas and all those whose testimony is recorded in Scripture. We have heard him, too, in the words of faithful parents and grandparents, pastors and Sunday school teachers, friends and neighbors. Through their voices, Jesus comes and stands among us, and we are blessed. We may not have seen Jesus in the flesh, but we have seen him in the love and compassion, kindness and mercy, in the astonishing goodness of others. We have seen him in those who are willing to be vulnerable, sharing their experience of resurrection power along with their scars. We have seen him in the faces of children who dare to ask questions, yet come to faith willingly and joyfully. We have seen him in the acceptance and love that we receive, whether we deserve it or not. By the actions of those around us, Jesus comes and stands among us, and we are blessed. Here we are, seven days after Easter. We may not have felt Jesus' breath on our faces, but we have been baptized with water and the Spirit nevertheless, and now we are the ones whom Jesus commissions. Jesus calls us now by name and sends us out to show the marks that we bear and share the grace that we have received and thus to make known the love of God to release those who are bound up in guilt and shame, and to offer the peace of Christ to everyone who we meet. Now it is through our words and deeds that others will know that Jesus has come and stood among them, and they will be blessed, and so will we. If you have doubts about this, if you don't feel that your faith strong enough, if you have questions and aren't sure what you believe, know that you are not alone. Thomas and all the other disciples have been there before you. Know, too, that the risen Christ welcomes our doubts and our questions and still always comes and says to us, peace be with you. I'd like us to share that blessing with one another now. I simply want you to turn to your neighbor and to have this exchange. One of you says, peace be with you, the peace of Christ be with you, and in return the other says, and you also, just very quietly and lovingly, will you share the peace of Christ with one another. And we are blessed. Thanks be to God. Amen.